Welcome to Incremental Spodrick the Podcast, the only industry podcast that doesn't censor itself or tries to pitch you anything. Our latest series, We're All Mad Here, is a series of one-on-one interviews with people we like from around the industry. Those who have a fresh or strong opinions about what's going on here and where this whole thing is heading. None of the interviews are scripted or rehearsed. We love keeping things casual and real, allowing people to voice their own views. In today's interview, I'm honored to have Jordi, CEO of Smadex, who I've known for about 10 years now. Jordi is a rare person in our industry, as he's an actual cheap engineer who migrated to the fascinating world of programmatic advertising before anyone believed programmatic advertising could even exist in mobile. Jordi is one of the most fun people to work with, as he's open, honest, and ethical in everything he does. While he's a CEO of a very successful DSP, he did take the time from his busy day to chat with me and share his own experience and predictions for the future. Hope you'll enjoy listening to this conversation as much as we have enjoyed having it. So let's start the, the interview officially. Um, hi, Jordi. How are you? Hey, Mauer. It's great, great to see you again. I've been willing to talk to you. I wish I could talk to you more than I do. Yeah, so, so maybe some background to people listening. Jordan and I know each other for, I think, at least 10 years now. At least, and, yes. <laughs> yeah, it, it shows that, A, we're old. Or, or, you know, maybe we started, maybe we started, like, we knew each other when we were, like, 10 and we we're 20. Yeah, we always did it off. Uh, well, we always had very good chemistry. Uh, and, you know, actually, you know, uh, I know your background, but maybe to the listeners, you want to introduce yourself also, share a little bit about like really your full background, how you even got to where you got. Okay, great. And actually it's interesting because I, I, I'm, I always said, I cannot say it anymore because it's been 10 years uh, with Smadex, but I always said that I'm an outsider to the ad tech industry and I consider still myself as an outsider. Um, I'm an engineer uh, by background, okay? I started engineering. Um, and um, my first job was at Qualcomm designing chips for cell phones. And I loved it. I loved everything about it. I was really a nerd and I still am. I'm, I love everything that has to do with technology and with signal processing. It's, it's a passion that I have. My mom used to tell me that as a kid, I, I used to disassemble TVs and radios all the time. So I don't know how many I broke, probably a lot. Um, but that's what I did. And then, um, you know, we always want what we don't have. So when I was, I was there in California in the headquarters at Qualcomm and uh, that's in San Diego and, and that's far from where I'm from, which is Barcelona in Spain. And I wanted to be closer to my family. So I said, you know, I want to go back to Spain. What should I do? I, I realized that it was going to be tough to find a job in chip design and there's no chip design companies there. So I decided to do an MBA at MIT as an engineer. Going to MIT was like a great thing for me. I, I, and, I learned a lot about entrepreneurship and, and I said, wow, wow, that's interesting. But when I went back to Spain after, after this MBA, I, I didn't start a company. I joined a massive company. I joined a telecoms operator, uh, which was the opposite of a startup and was a pain. And two years later, that's in 2010, end of 2010, I realized that was a mistake. So I decided to start a company and, and I decided to start Smanix. And, and talking about mistakes, I did all the mistakes in the book. <laughs> you know, I, when I was at MIT, they, they showed me, you know, when you start a company, these are all the mistakes that you make. And I said, okay, I know them. I will not make those mistakes wrong. I made them all. And those that are not in the book, I also made them. Um, but, uh, but I loved it. And I loved, I loved um, you know, how um, ad tech is at the intersection of art, 
and science and uh, and and I loved uh, both aspects of it and and I, and I loved um, how you know there's like so much incredible technology in an active business and so 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 started the company um, made many mistakes as I said but with way too little money for what I wanted to do with the wrong investors um, you know without knowing about the industry um, but you know I said okay I'm just going to give it a try. So it went quite well. Um, I think that we developed an amazing, incredible product and, and company. Uh, we sold it uh, back in 2018 to Entravision, which is a company that owns us now. Uh, and, um, and we've been growing since, and, and we're very excited about the future. I, I think that we, that, you know, I chose a very good, like vertical to develop the company. And I think it's a fantastic vertical. It has a lot of potential to continue to develop, which continues to make it very, very interesting. It's crazy that you didn't just get into this industry. You got into this industry as an entrepreneur pretty early on, developing a programmatic DSP, okay? Yes. You didn't come in and write the, oh, maybe I should start a video arbitrage network. You're like, I'm gonna go full into depth. It's definitely, I would say, not just an entrepreneur, an engineer entrepreneur. Yes, yeah, yeah, and and I and true, I didn't say that uh, that Smiles is a, is, a, is a DSP. I had no idea, you know. I I I shit you not, Mahor. I didn't know how Google made money when I started this company. I know I knew nothing of advertising, but I learned about real-time bidding in a mobile world congress, and I thought, wow, this is incredible. You know, like really, does it work like this? I, I have to I have to do this. I, we pivoted at the beginning, like pivoting into several things. When I discovered real-time bidding, I, I, I thought it was unbelievable. And I and I put all my all my all my life into it. And I still do and I love it. By the way, I think that's kind of like what the, the characteristic of an entrepreneur is figuring stuff out while you do it. Um, there is no there is no playbook to being an entrepreneur. I I agree. I couldn't agree more. And yeah, you know, if you don't make as many mistakes as I did, <laughs> it's it's always better. But uh, but there is no playbook, and I you know if I could start a company in a, in an industry that I knew nothing about, just with uh, you know passion and, and trying to surround yourself with good people, um, then anyone can do it. Yeah. Cool. Uh, how does your day to day look like these days? Cool. Um, well, you know, related to what I was saying, I I'm I'm a CEO that is very 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 involved with the company, so I'm very involved. With the technology itself, I, I sit, you know, I sit in the middle of the technology team in, in my company. I don't have an office for myself. I sit in the middle with them all, so I can hear everything that goes on. Um, and I am involved with our clients with campaigns. Um, the first meeting I have every morning—that's the first one that I have—is with a group of people that we look at one campaign, like the Adobe scene, and I and they were looking at one campaign. I've been changing, so before it was one, then I changed to another campaign. But I, the first meeting in the morning is always to look at one campaign, see how our platform is delivering that campaign and how can we make it better and what tests can we do to try to see how the platform can get better to deal with the issues, the many, many issues that our campaigns have. So that's, that's the first meeting that I have every day. And when I wake up, I know that I'll do that. Then, you know, I like to say that the hardest part of my job is to choose what to do with my time. You know, my time is precious and it's, it's finite. And I have to decide, you know, I could do, I could do anything, right? I could, I could try to help 
technology team, I could try to help the, the sales team, I could try to uh, read about the industry, I could talk to, I could try to um, do more networking, um, I could try to help the Alps team. And so choosing what to do is really, really hard for me. Um, so I already have a lot of pre-allocated meetings throughout the week, and that takes maybe 80% of my time. And so there's only like the 20% extra that I have to decide what to do with. Um, those meetings are with my team. So I, you know, the majority of those meetings are with my team to uh, follow up on everything that goes on. Um, and then for the rest, um, I, you know, I, I have to say that I wish I, I chose to spend more time on networking and on industry and not look so much inside but look more outside. But you know, again, there's no perfect formula for what it is. I, I, I do my best, uh, and yeah, most of it is uh, is uh, in meetings inside the company. Yeah, I know. I, I know the feeling. And again, I was like previously, obviously, like in your position as well, not Hispanics, but I was also CEO for a large company. You literally don't have time to breathe. Okay, and you really yeah. need to pick what do I do with my time. And yeah, there's always this magical time that is in the future. A month from now, by the way, your calendar has plenty of spots. Like, oh, I'll be able to do this and that. But we, let's face it, we kind of like know what we do. But anyway, it's like, uh, you know, it's intense, but uh, our industry is intense. Um, yes. And actually, you know, kind of like very related. If, if someone, you know, someone new coming to this industry, regardless of um, like on the advertiser side or platform side, what piece of advice would you give them? Oh, um, okay. Well, I can give lots of advice because I've made lots of mistakes, right? <laughs> yeah, and it also depends on the, the person that would like to join this industry. Let's say that it's someone that is looking at uh, this industry as I want to find a job, okay? Well, the first thing I would say is that it's a wonderful industry to get a job. And it's wonderful because it's super dynamic and because it has an incredible future, meaning it has to evolve a lot. Like there's like, it's an industry that where billions of dollars are spent, um, but the solutions that are out there, even the best ones of the best companies are still far from being perfect. So if you are someone that likes, that are not afraid of a dynamic, environment. Some people, it's not for everyone, okay? Like for people that like a dynamic environment, it's great. For people that like to build things, it's great. Um, because you know, all of this happens and will happen. And it gets some of the best minds in the world, right? Some of the best minds in the world are in this field, thinking about how to solve the problems of how to um, show to people the ads that are most relevant to them. Um, and so I, um, I think it's, it's a great industry, but you know you have to be ready for change and for for dynamism. Um, if it's if it's some if we're talking about advice to someone entering the industry as an entrepreneur, like I've always I've also been, the one thing that I would say is not do like me. Okay, so don't enter <laughs> the market without knowing shit about it. You know, start to get if you don't know about the market, if you don't know people. Partner with someone that has the connections and knows people, because otherwise it's just this industry is hard enough, let's say. And so, it's even though it's changing a lot, there's a lot of uh, things built already. Right? It's a complex industry to get in. It's not um, 
you know, every industry is difficult, you know, that nothing is easy in this world, I've learned that. But this industry, um, in order to understand what's going on, it's already complicated. You know, you can do a master's to understand what's going on. So if you want to build on top of it, you first need to understand it and that is hard. So try to get partnered with someone that knows the industry or, you know, like um, have background in the industry before you start to be an entrepreneur in this industry. So don't do like me. I, I didn't do it. You know, you know I'm, I'm onboarding someone to incremental now, and she doesn't come from the industry. She's, she's smart, definitely, but she doesn't come from the industry. And, you know, trying to lay over like 20 years of background into someone and you see their face, it's like, but why? But why? But why? But why? So, again, I'm grateful that I hired her because she's asking. Okay. She's not like, I got this, ego, ego, ego. No, I'm like, she's asking, which is pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it happens, the same thing happens to me. We, we're hiring, we hiring a lot of people and, and some don't come from the industry and some with positions that will require them to do their job duties to know the industry very well. And, and yeah, it's, it's complicated, but I totally agree with you. you know, they have the attitude of asking questions. You, know, you and I have talked about it so many times, so, so many times that, in life in general, right? but in the industry because it's so complicated. Um, there's a lot of people that, there's a lot of questions that everybody has that never get asked. And this generates a lot of bullshit. <laughs> this generates a lot of hype. This generates a lot of talk. And in our industry, it happens a lot. <laughs> a lot of yeah. people talking about giving, giving things for granted just because they've heard them over and over and over without really understanding what they are. Yeah, so no, no. Them, I, I... It's kind of like a human nature thing in a way to kind of like uh, pretend you know everything. Okay. But I think, I think it's kind of like the, the fundamentals of learning and probably again, as an engineer, you would probably definitely agree that the fundamentals of learning is to ask a question, okay? Sure. Either you come with an hypothesis or not, but you ask a question, so that's how you start. Yeah. And I look, talking about, uh, this is almost a philosophical question, right? but uh, I think, I think it has to do with self-confidence in the end, right? Because nobody, nobody likes to be put to put themselves in a position of either of not knowing something, right? Everybody loves to say that they know everything. Um, and when you admit that you're asking a question, you admit that you don't know the answer, so you're really admitting that you know you didn't know that. And that for a lot of people since creates a conflict of like putting themselves in a position of low position and i think that's that's what i really you know i have two kids and i i really try to work on them on being self-confident you know? being self-confident doesn't matter to show people that you don't know something uh, it just matters that you ask and you want to learn and it's great to learn things and then you know be better um you know it just matters where you are where you're going not not where you come from and so i think it's a lesson in life but it's true that it's uh it's really hard for a lot of people, and that creates a lot of trouble for a lot of for a lot of people, for a lot of industries, for a lot of companies. Acting without knowledge is, is a great problem. Yeah, because you know, we like in a way we might be sucked into the marketing side of things, thinking that we need to polish how we look, how we talk, how we behave, and so on. But you know, if you think like of a, I don't know, a Olympic gymnast, okay, what they do looks very simple, but let's face it, to <laughs> get there. To get there is years of falling down and trial and error. And kind of like the same with being in this industry, being an entrepreneur here. Like you cannot 
not make mistakes. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And 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 it's all I, you know, I I told uh, my little daughter, you know, she's six, and I told her, I told her, she, you know, she gets frustrated when she makes mistakes like this, and I told her, look, I'll tell you the biggest secret in our family, okay, but don't tell anyone. I'm like, oh, okay, and I tell her in her ear. The biggest secret is that when the biggest secret is that when we make mistakes, instead of being frustrated, we are happy because we're learning. And she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> but I have to keep reminding her. I have to keep reminding her of our secret. <laughs> nice. Let me ask you a couple of other questions. Um, right. So um, let's talk a little bit about you know death of the IT and so on. And like, how did Smartix or Headway uh, handle the whole death of the identifier? Um, coming death of the cookie just last week also Google announced changes um, to GAID the sandbox and so on <laughs> like how are you guys hand how did you guys handle it let's start with the idea okay. I guess yeah yeah, yeah. Oof, um, another interesting question eh? and uh, smile I'll talk about smartx uh, which is what I what I did and uh, so obviously I start with saying that it's an important uh, change in the industry um, and it's impacting many companies and obviously including uh, us at Smartex, it's impacting us a lot. Um, so the first thing that I'd like to say is that we always, maybe because of my background, I don't know, but we always give a lot of importation to, a lot of importance to contextual optimization. So we, from the beginning, put a lot of weight in machine learning, optimizing to contextual signals. It's at the heart of Smartex and of what we do. So when, when it came, we first thought, oh, great, because this impacts everyone else but us. Um, but then, you know, like, just couldn't leave it at that. So talking about iOS in particular, um, the first thing that I did, and I think that's very much entrepreneurial, was, okay, this is a big change. This is like a tsunami. Let's try to make it an opportunity. Let's try to take advantage of this. Let's not try to sink in the tsunami. Let's try to surf the tsunami and stay on top. And so what, what we thought, what are our assets? Well, our assets are one, we're very much focused on contextual, so that's great. And two, we are very agile. We believe that we're very fast in developing. So let's try to be the first to develop a solution on top of whatever it is that Apple wants us to use. If it's called SCAD network, we'll just be the first to integrate with everything related to SCAD network. And, and do good. And if they give you just a hundred campaign ID values to optimize, so we will use that to the max. And we, we developed something that we call transparent flexible mapping, which allows us to map campaign IDs to dimensions on the fly. And we have, you know, clients can, advertisers can go and change what they want to map with campaign ID. And we, our algorithms then will optimize towards that automatically. You can change that to our campaign and it's working great. So actually on SCAD network, compared to other partners, to other networks, we are doing really, really well. And then, you know, um, when it's not SCAD network and it's probabilistic attribution on iOS, we are doing really well because of our contextual optimization. So, so, so far it's been great, um, but I, you know, and I, and I talk to, to the management of the company every week about how it's super important that we are alert on, on changes that can be coming. And we know, we know, we know that Apple can just change things from one day to the other. And so, so we are alert. We try to develop very fast um, and then try to do things that, the way that we believe are right. Um, so I think that our, our, our strength in contextual was 
in part because we thought that that was right to do it and was not invasive of privacy. And so, you know, in the end, it paid off. Um, and then being agile. But again, I mean, I know and I'm fully conscious that things can change in a heartbeat and then we'll have to adapt. As an entrepreneur, you know, Smalex, regardless of how much it's grown, I still consider it to be a, a startup and we have to be agile like when we were five people. And you know, so uh, like another question, it's kind of related and unrelated, but maybe like from a more strategic standpoint. So, you know me, I'm pretty much friends with everybody in the industry. And mm -hmm. I indeed, I'm interviewing like, you know, your competitors, you know, obviously we know one another, it's a fairly small network of like C-levels within this industry. How do you guys differentiate? Being on the ad platform side, differentiation is really, really crucial. How do you differentiate from some of your competitors? Okay, well, that's that's the the other super tough question that I have to ask, to have to answer. I have been answering for ten years, and at the beginning it was much harder when we had nothing. <laughs> it was really hard. Now it's a little better. But look, I I, I like to say that the two keywords defining Smatics are performance and transparency. Now, performance means that your platform has to you know, buy the right ads to achieve a certain ROAS for your advertisers, right? And that's a given, you must have it. And so that's not a differentiator. That if you don't have it, you cannot compete, period, or you're out of the market. Transparency, on the other hand, is uh, is not a must-have, you know? We have a lot of competitors competing, competing DSPs that are not transparent like we are. And I think that, that it adds a lot of value. And I think that it will continue to gain in importance with time. I think that especially in programmatic, Advertisers want to understand what they're buying, and programmatic offers the, the fantastic opportunity for them to know a lot about what they're buying. And so we we define our transparency in, in, in two buckets. One bucket is reporting. So we are transparent in reporting. We report every information that we know about every impression that we bought, we just give it. Uh, we don't hide anything. But then the second bucket is also on campaign setup. We let our advertisers either decide or participate with us and see how campaigns are set up, how is the optimization happening, what decisions do we make, what decisions our algorithms make. We explain to them exactly how our algorithms work. We work with them for, for those that want, some, some advertisers don't want, but some do want. And some say, no, look, I'd like to try this audience. I'd like to try this strategy. I'd like to try this. And we do it with them and we build algorithms with some of our clients um, because we believe that that's what ultimately is the best outcome for them, you know, for them to try you know, with programmatic, you can access all the supply in the world. Hey, you know, I want to try these targeting options or those to get performance. And so I think that transparency is a differentiating factor for us. Now, lately, we're also seeing other differentiating factors that are also quite nice. Um, we not only buy, so we focused on mobile user acquisition, right? Um, but we not only buy in-app, we actually can buy from web. So we buy uh, web traffic, both mobile, but also desktop. And we also buy connected TV. So we're now also looking at um, not just bottom of the funnel um, campaign, but uh, full funnel campaign, uh, campaign performance or, or campaign delivery, if you want, uh, with all channels available to us. And I think that's differentiating for us in this vertical that we compete with, which is uh, mobile user acquisition programmatic. 
Let's talk performance and let's talk incrementality and other hard questions. So okay. <laughs> you know, like uh, the, the signals you often get as an ad platform when it comes to measurement is attribution. Okay, you were the last one to touch and so on. But like when we think incrementality, obviously, you know, many marketers consider incrementality is like the holy grail. Okay, I generate a dollar. I want to make more than a dollar as a result of the advertising activities. And the question is, if you think an ad platform can somehow ensure that the results you're generating are actually incremental. Well, that's, look, you and I specifically have talked a lot about this. I mean, you know, when you told me that you were starting incremental, I told you, well, man, you were spot on. Uh, and we suffered, both of us in our businesses, we suffered the, uh, the problems of attribution uh, in the market, right? Um, and so, look, to answer your question, if an ad platform can guarantee um, incrementality, uh, I'd say yes. The same way that I could, um, I could, and I would, um, and I recommend using incremental to measure incrementality. Um, you know, we've looked at developing our own incrementality solution. So we have we have our own incrementality measurements uh, with ghost ads, with uh, with regular ads. Um, but I, again, I, I try to be fair and I think that it's not, it's not right for a uh, company to be judged in, in what it's doing. I think that a third party should be a judge. And so I really think that incremental was a fantastic idea and I, I really support it. Um, but yeah, we do measure, we do measure incrementality and we want to believe that we provide incrementality. Now that, I'd like to say, and you and I have discussed about it, that comes at odds many times with current attribution measurements out there. Um, sometimes some uh, um, advertiser using some attribution solution may give you some results that may have nothing to do with how incremental your campaign is. And it's funny that, you know, and that's what I said at the beginning, right, about whether you should join this industry. I think you should because like the fundamental problem of this industry is not solved, which is, you know, I want to create a business outcome and where should I put my advertising dollar? Um, there's billions and billions and billions of advertising dollars spent in the world. And they are in many, 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 many cases based on decisions given by tools that sometimes are orthogonal with the process of or the the outcome of really incrementality, like whether you know the, the billions of dollars are taken with decisions that then cause or create uh, people having to decide things that are the opposite of what they should be deciding. So I, I think the the I think the problem of attribution is very 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 complex. I think that the world has tended to simplify it so that people could take decisions, but I think that sometimes some simplifications have been the cause for incredible mistakes costing billions of dollars. And, and I think that there's like a, a big space for um, trying to simplify things. These things are very complex, right? We need to simplify to be able to take decisions, but try to simplify the complexity of advertising into measurements that are different than attribution, which is really, really complex. complex right? How can you attribute merit of, of like me buying a Coca-Cola today 
to one ad. How can I do that? You know, why should same I do that? Same goes to you buying a car to a single ad. And like to, to your point, like, you know, I think maybe you and I are sometimes maybe a bit too honest. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe we'll <laughs> never be CEOs of like Nasdaq listed companies ourselves. Um, because it's like, you know, I, I will never tell anyone uh, incremental is everything you need for measurement. No, it's like, you know, I get asked a lot, like, uh, you know, do you compete with the MMPs? We don't compete with the MMPs because their product is great. Like their product will tell you who was the last to charge the user, okay? That's yeah. fact. I cannot argue with fact. I'm gonna not try to argue with fact. Same as we get asked, uh, you know, do we do media mix modeling? Media mix modeling is like predicting what will happen if we make this change in the future. It's like, no, I don't think any third-party SaaS solution as unbiased as they are could ever come up with a prediction of what will happen because there's too many variables that we don't know. No one knows other than you. And I actually really appreciate the fact that you guys, you know, do the best you can well, because randomized control group is awesome. Obviously, you don't have full visibility of all the user base and so on, but it's the best you can offer to show the customer, look, I am doing the best I can to ensure incrementality for you. Whether if it's uh, truly incremental or not, I cannot tell you, but at least I'm honest about it. Exactly, exactly. And the funny thing is that, again, I go back to the topic that amazes me that like billions and billions of dollars are spent in this industry. and a lot of those billions of dollars are spent without even thinking about incrementality. Um, they're just spent on looking at the number in a spreadsheet that is just like trusted, like faith, um, without really thinking about what that number means. It means what you said, right? Like I'm specifically thinking about, for example, a CPI based on last touch or last click, if you want. And, and some people don't even question why that number is important and what decision should I make or should I, should I take based on what that number means? Um, and, and I think, but again, I think that the advertising problem is very, very complex. Um, not just to, how to do advertising, but how to choose, to choose the channels that I have to do my advertising on. It's incredibly, incredibly, incredibly complex. Um, and, um, and yeah, you know, a lot of companies probably have taken a lot, have made a lot of money based on people just simplifying that problem into something simple that maybe was not explaining the whole story, but was some simplified version of the story that benefited them a lot. Yeah, well, uh, it's like it's a market. It's also driven by VCs and uh, share prices and so on. Um, <laughs> jump, jumping into another one. So, you know, we know this industry pretty well and it comes up with a lot of terms Sometimes the terms are completely bullshit. Sometimes they're actual trends. Now, I made a list of things that like keywords running in the industry right now. And we'd love to get your perspective, you know, uh, bullshit or actual trend. Um, <laughs> let's start with, well, a simple one that now I think we can, we know, Google ID deprecation. <laughs> well, two weeks ago, I would have said trend also, <laughs> because like we all, knew what was going to happen. We still don't know how it's going to happen, right? I mean, there's, like, details are still not there, but but at some form, uh, it will change, we know. So that has to be a trend, it cannot be bullshit. Yeah, um, cross-platform advertising. Well, that's, that's a beautiful one. <laughs> um, so I'd say that there's a lot of bullshit, but it should be a trend that probably is going to be for a long term. I mean, 
Um, I think some walled gardens and some uh, big companies can do uh, cross-platform advertising, but many others can't. And to do it well, I think that it's going to be required to remove a lot of bullshit <laughs> to be able to do it well. So, so I think that cross-platform advertising will be important, but there's going to be a lot of bullshit until that it's properly done. Next one is clean room. Ah, <laughs> you know, that's the question that I wanted to ask you. You have to tell me what is clean room because I don't know. So I'll say bullshit until you explain it to me. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's go back to that. Um, NFT. Oh my God, that's another interesting one. Um, <laughs> I think that there's going to be a lot of bullshit NFTs and people are going to lose a lot of money with bullshit NFTs, but there's going to be a lot of money in NFTs for things that will not be bullshit. And so I, I do believe that um, in gaming, for example, right? I do believe that people do spend and will spend a lot of time in universes that are not the real, you know, touching universe and they will be trading money on objects in those universes. So there will be a lot of money in that. But I think also that a lot of people will lose a lot of money, like when people thought that a bulb of a tulip was worth more than a house. Metaverse, very related. Yes, very related. And I'll tell you something. Uh, when I joined, when I moved back from the States to Spain and I worked in this uh, big uh, career, the first project they gave me was Second Life. Like we have to be in Second Life and we have to do things in Second Life. And that was in 20, 2008, okay? And at that moment, I shouldn't not, I said, this is bullshit, you know? I, who wants to spend time in this? This will never take off. And then when Mark Zuckerberg said everything he said about Metaverse and everybody got crazy about the Metaverse, I thought, oh my God, was I wrong? Um, but I was like, how can I be so wrong to bet against the most powerful and smartest people on earth? But but I but I think that again I think that um, uh, digital um, universes, if you want to call them, metaverses. I think that people are already spending a lot of time in games that are like a metaverse, and I think that will grow. Um, whether I will rather spend my vacation on an ideal beach in the metaverse rather than in the Formentera or Ibiza. Uh, in my lifetime, I think that's going to be bullshit. I think I'd rather be in the real beach. Um, but um, I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah. No, I, like, I, I, I think maybe again, we're either we're not the generation uh, target or I honestly, I don't even want my kids to be uh, like, I'd rather my kids going to Ibiza or Tenerife yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, again, um, I think there's a space for everything. Uh, so there's like a space for interactions, social interactions in another universe. But, but I think that a lot of people think about things that I don't think will happen. No, I will never spend a vacation. I will never spend a vacation in the metaverse. I can tell you that. <laughs> By the way, going back to the clean room, so the clean room, honestly, it's it's the same as the metaverse. Take uh, Cochabas Collective, that was okay. a clean room, okay? Dump okay. data, let an unbiased party match it, 
puzzle it, uh, um, uh, combine it, and give you an output that is like contextual for you to use for other means, okay? That's practically what that means. It's of course always getting, again, we're in an industry that like takes an old thing, puts a, a new label, and it's a new <laughs> thing. Uh, but it's like nothing new. It's the same as like, you know, for a long time, mediation apparently was dead. And then the mediation is so much back. Uh, and yes. now we call it, now we call it header beating. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, what's but, then, no, oh. but it makes sense then, uh, clean room then, it makes sense. There's like a space for yeah, mixing yeah, data and generating outcomes. So that I would say trend. What's a random fact about you? Okay. Um, I love, I, my, my wife would say that I'm addicted, but I would just say that I love playing speed chess. So I play chess one minute games and it's just not chess. Some people would not call that chess and I would agree with them, but it's, you know, it's, it's like a hyper casual thing for me. Like, you know, you just play in one minute and you play one game. Okay. And I love it because uh, it keeps me alert. Yeah, okay. Next time I see you, we play yeah, speed chess. I love speed chess. I love chess. Oh my God. Me. Oh yeah. wow! I didn't know that. Uh, Come on. Okay. I play I, I I play chess with my kids all the time. My son has reached a point where, like, I would say at least half the time he wins, and he's eight. How old is he? eight. He's eight. Yeah, yeah. Well, my daughter is six, but she's gonna turn seven. Uh, so okay, I have a lot of catch up to. <laughs> cool. And uh, Jordi, if people wanna follow you digitally, of course, not not uh, not stalking. Where can they follow you? <laughs> They can follow me on LinkedIn. I mean, uh, I, I reply to everyone contacting me on LinkedIn. I have no problem people connecting with me without knowing me from anything. I don't care. Um, and I also have no problem of uh, sharing my email here, jpinos uh, at smilex.com. And I, uh, you know, I, if it's interesting for, for LinkedIn, I pretty much answer to everybody on email. If you catch my attention, I will answer. If you're just uh, cold emailing me, telling me something with a automated email, probably I do. Yeah, no, I know the feeling pretty well. Uh, so, Jory, <laughs> thank you so much. It's been fun. It's always fun. Yes. Uh, wishing you a lovely evening. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Mario. It was great. And I will challenge you to a test with you. Okay, cool.